welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello. And we are back. It's been a minute. Yeah. How long has it been? I don't know. At least a month. Month yep. and a half? Two months, maybe? Yeah. But it's been like Christmas and crazy times. Yeah. And plus as well, like, yeah, you were, you know, obviously being a primary school teacher, you had a lot of report writing to do mm-hmm. and hectic end of the year time. So mm-hmm. we're, we had a little break and we're, we're back. Yes. But we've been watching a lot of movies in this little time a lot of new movies so i think we're gonna be doing our wrap-up episode soon as well yeah be exciting well i i think we'll actually i don't know recording and scheduling time like we could either put this out first or the wrap-up out first i don't know maybe the wrap-up yeah so by the time you're listening to this you've already heard (laughs) but yeah no it's um yeah, it's ever since cinemas reopened here in Melbourne, I've been going like every like twice a week at least. I've just been fucking plowing it out. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, but, yeah. But uh, we are back with uh, diving back into the regular episodes of the Criterion Collection, and we are back on deck with spine number two ninety six, uh, Lucino Visconti's nineteen fifty seven film Le Notte Bianche. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. What would you have said? <laughs> Uh, Lenati Bianchi. (laughs) Bianchi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Translated to White Knights. Uh, The synopsis is Marcello Mastriani as a lonely city transplant and Maria Schell as a sheltered girl haunted by a lover's promise. Meet by chance on a canal bridge and begin a tentative romance that quickly entangles them in a web of longing and self-delusion. Lucino Visconti's La Notte Bianchi is an exquisite adaptation of Dostoevsky's White Knights Translate, translates this romantic, shattering tale of two restless souls into a ravishing black-and-white dream. Mm. Yeah. Uh, right off the bat, I had not seen this before. No, and I've got to say, when I looked up what our next one was, I was very happy and excited. I'm getting excited for the old black-and-white... Um foreign films now. Oh man, you're going to love next week's one. Oh good. Or next episode's one, yeah. Yeah. But I Both nev- love and hate, I think. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Um, never seen a Visconti film before. I know you have. Yeah, I mean, obviously through Criterion Collection, it's been sort of my introduction to him. And as far as I can tell, like the only real Visconti film I've ever seen is The Leopard, um, the 1963 f- fucking massive epic that he did with Burt Lancaster and I love that movie Ooh. I really really dug it um it was one yeah when Tom and I watched it it's like you know this over three hour long epic that ends with a ballroom sequence that goes for 40 minutes that we were just like blew our fucking minds wow. like, yeah I, I really love that film and you know obviously I know a lot of Visconti's like kind of what goes into his filmmaking is a lot of kind of neorealism, kind of being an Italian director coming out of that time, you know, the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, like, you know, let's let's go for that neorealism stuff. And this film in particular, um, White Knight, White Knights is kind of him kind of almost putting that to the side a little bit to like, let's do a more traditional kind of classic Hollywood kind of romance tale instead. Yeah. Um, neorealism, if you had to explain that in a nutshell, what would you say that is? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, so, like, it, the Italian neorealism, like, um, basically dealing, like, with that whole wave of directors and kind of that era of filmmaking, it's kind of characterised by stories set amongst kind of the poor and the working class, mm -hmm. uh, mostly shot on location, like, you know, utilising real-world situations, like, locations and situations, and a lot of the time non-professional actors. Hmm. Yeah. So this is moving away from that. Yeah, very much. more classic. Yeah. I mean, very much so. It's like one... I mean, right off the bat, it's him using, like, I mean, I mean, Marcello Mastroianni is, like, one of the great, like, I'm sorry, excuse me, <laughs> burping into the mic. <laughs> one of the few, like, the great Italian actors of that time. But also, more importantly, it's shot on a fucking soundstage. Mm. Like, it's it's about as far away you, as you can get from neorealism, like, the idea of trying to take you know, almost pseudo-documentary style or, you know, real-world stories and endeavours and stuff and plonking it into this, like, we're going to literally fake a canal in the middle yeah. of the street and, like... Because I was trying to pick the location. Like, obviously, it's a soundstage. We picked it straight off the bat with the kind of the sound bouncing off the walls-ness of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got info on, like, where it's actually supposed to be as well, like, kind of... Well, I would have thought, um, not Florence, what's it called? Not Venice. Venice, because of the canal, but I think it's not. Complicated. It was like, it's like some other small little town beginning with an L. Yeah, uh, Livorno. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the entire, the entire film was shot on an elaborate soundstage at uh, Cinecita Studios, the very famous film production studios in Rome, recreating the streets, stores, waterways, and monuments of Livorno. Recreating, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Like when, if it's, if it's a whole new place that's not real, that's, you know, that makes sense. But to not just do it on location, it's interesting choice when it'd probably be much cheaper to do that. But then I guess with the ending of the White Knight, it'd probably be very hard to do. I don't know. I mean, I suppose at the same time, it's like, you know, you, you just use the same, sh you know, soap machines to drop the snowflakes True. and stuff down. But... I think it is really because, like, obviously this one, this um, film is also based off of a classic piece of work by Dostoevsky, a short story by him. And the original version of the short story, I believe it's way more of a period piece, like obviously written in like the, I think, 17 or 1800s. And um, Visconti was like, I don't want to do another costume drama. Mm. I want to transpose this to a modern day setting and let's, I think it's, it really seems to be like, hey, I'm going to try and make like a Frank Capra movie. Like, you know, uh, you know, not, I mean, I'm just drawing the comparison of It's a Wonderful Life because of the snow and stuff at yeah. the end. But, you know, like this classic Hollywood kind of romance tale. And by doing that, it's like, well, what do, what do Hollywood filmmakers do? I know they shoot on sound stages and they do all this. So let's try and recreate that as best we can to kind of create that fairy tale environment for yeah. the story. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, no, but the sound, the soundstage, the set piece, the set, it was pretty amazing. And also, um, Visconti loved to shoot the shit out of it. Yeah, I think that's part of it as well is, you know, again, moving away from that neorealism, which is kind of that almost docu borderline documentary mm. style. It's, let's fucking use, like, op like you said it right away, it's like opening shot, crane shot into another, another crane, crane shot. shot. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, he's shooting the ever-loving shit out of the movie. 
and there was some comments you made that you know we've got our two characters but the camera's always sort of positioned to give depth and openness to um the world and to make it feel like it's quite elongated and long and it's because, um, like, yeah. realistically, the soundstage is probably only, like, two or three of those streets. Like, it's the same locations yes. over and over again. But he's shooting it from so many different angles mm. that it makes it feel like a much bigger yeah. world than it actually is. Bigger world. There were some wonderful shots of um, people wiping away fog or a window opening or a door opening. And it might not have added to the story at all, but it probably added to the illusion of it being... You know, a bigger world. A, a lived-in environment as opposed to the soundstage. Yeah, there's one shot where Mario, yeah, wipes away the fog. And in the through the window, it's all in focus. And, yeah. There's some other really interesting shots as well. Is that when he first notices Natalia? It might be, yeah. I, yeah. I probably didn't make note at the, po- at the moment, but I'm wondering if it was. Um, there's some also some really interesting, like, it's almost like trick shots where you're either being told a story from the past, so Natalia might be telling her story about the tenant, and we're going along on her remembering her story, and then it cuts to um, well, it present was, day? Yeah, it was that weird... Well, it was the, Yeah, we had that first beautiful pan across, like, the broken, desolate, like, you know, weight-bombed-out building that they're sitting in while she's telling the story, and then it, as it pans across, it's the pristine room of her grandmother's house. Yes. And you're less like, ooh, that's... That's some rad transitions right yeah. there. <laughs> and then later on where she's crying on the tenant's shoulder because he's leaving and then in the next shot she's still crying on the shoulder but it's not the tenant, it's Mario. Yeah. It's so good. Beautiful little like hidden cuts in there and just kind of really grabs you into the story of like... It really lends to that fairy tale nature of it all because mm. like throughout the film Mario keeps referring to like, you know, saying that, you know, she's a young girl and, you know, believe, you're going to tell me you believe in fairy tales next and blah, 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 all of that stuff. Mm. But it's like, yeah, motherfucker, like, that's what this story is. And I guess by the end, he's sort of become a bit of a believing in the fairy tale. Because it turns out to be, like, spoiler alert, it turns out to be fucking true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I mean, we haven't even really gotten into any of that stuff. The story. Yeah. Um, you know, just because the Criterion one was fairly vague, but... Uh, do you want to kind of break it down a little bit? So, yes. We start with Mario. And to be honest, I can't really remember. Oh, yes. We start with Mario on the street in the middle of the night, walking around. And he comes across a young, beautiful woman crying on a bridge uh, in Trinitalia. And, oh, my God. I've got to just jump in right here and just say, on a something about old movies, and I think we bring it up all the time, but I love watching them with you because yeah. we just pick it apart. Yeah. We can do that, but also, you know, appreciate and love the film at the end, but fuck that opening. The, the amount of times both of us yelled at the TV, leave her alone. Yeah, she don't, said no. Don't touch her. Don't know. And the manhandling of the back of the oh, arm. Yeah. Such a thing. And, and then it's doubled up again when they go dancing later and he's holding her by the wrist and you're just like, yes. no. Yes. Don't, yeah. Um, but so she's like, no, <laughs> fuck off. How many times do I have to tell you? And then she runs and then... There's two young men. (laughs) Two young men on a motorcycle, and they're like, "Come on, Blondie!" It's just like it makes Italy in the 1950s seem like the rapiest place on earth. 
was that other Italian movie we were like, geez, Italy in the 50s? Was it uh, La Comiseca, maybe? Yes, I think yeah. so. <laughs> Where it was like all the, through the park. Is, like, yeah, yeah, the guys just trying, any woman will do. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like, yeah, she runs away from the first creeper. Like, you know, I'm... <laughs> that's like, it. Yeah. This is us watching it in 2022 now. Yeah. And it's like. And before we is, get to know who Mario is, yeah, and stuff, it's this like. Is rapey as, and she, she, but, she's run away from one creeper to, and then all of a sudden a moped with two other creepers who are like, hey, pretty, pretty, come for a ride. Yeah, <laughs> you can like, squeeze in here. And no. then Mario turns around to Natalia and says, you know, if you hadn't run away from me, none of this would have happened. Like, total victim blaming. Victim blaming, but also, <laughs> like, you know, if you run away from a raping, you're going to get raped. <laughs> And it's like, we're just watching it going, I know back in the day, none of this would have been viewed this no, no it's no. lost on us now but, but it's, it's fuck. and it's also one where it's like we're not sure it's early you know this is within the first 10 15 minutes of yes. the film we're not 100% sure like you know neither of us had seen this one before neither of us had even read the like synopsis we were going yeah. into this one totally blind, blind. and it's just that you know what sometimes the fuck's going on yeah sometimes when you're watching a movie and like to help get you into it you kind of have fun with it yeah and, you know it's, it's not you know not, yeah. not knocking on the film but i'm not apologizing i stand by what i said <laughs> you stand by <laughs> um but yes anyway and then he keeps pestering her and pestering her he thinks that she's on her way somewhere and she stopped crying not realizing that she sort of that's her thing to do is wait on yeah. this bridge um, so he's like, I'll walk you home, I'll walk you home. And in my mind, I'm like, don't let him walk you home, then you'll know where you live. Yeah, you ne- yeah never go to a second location. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's why I was joking, like, because she goes to a place and then waits for him to leave and then immediately bails out the door again. I'm like, that wasn't even her house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, this goes on <clears throat> back and forth thing. And then she promises to meet Mario the next night, same time, same place, 10 p.m. Um, and when she's there, she tells us about, uh, her previous, uh, interlude with another man, uh, also known as the tenant, doesn't have another name. Which I also think adds to the whole fairy tale atmosphere of the film. It's like the only people whose names we get are Natalia and Mario and everyone else is the tenant, the landlady, the prostitute, the maid, like, you know, it's the grandmother, the the dancer. (laughs) What a dancer. Oh my God. (laughs) And it's great. It just adds to that whole thing. So yeah, we hear about the tenant. Yes. The tenant has uh, rented the room upstairs of uh, Natalia's grandmother. And Natalia's grandmother is the sweetest thing ever. So yeah. <laughs> you have to explain what that is, otherwise it's just uh, a goose. <laughs> yeah. No, it, 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 again, being mean. Like, old lady grandma in Italian saying, like, who's there? But it sounds like... <laughs> um, she was but, adorable. I loved her. But, yeah, there's things that are said and then just never explained. Like, what's Mario's work? Why was the tenant running away from someone, you know. Natalia, for example, both her parents disappeared. Uh, Natalia's mum ran off with another man who wasn't her father. That's all we get. Again, I think this is all just beautiful little set dressing stuff that adds to that fairy tale atmosphere. Mm. You don't... When you're reading a classic fairy tale, you don't need to know why Cinderella lives with the like step like with the stepsisters or yes. the aunts or whatever. Like you, it's not important. It's yes. just what's important is that's where she is. Is yeah, except um, yeah. So Natalia's grandmother or nonna, she uh, is so sad that she's been left um, alone that she uses a safety pin to pin Natalia to her dress so ador- she doesn't leave her. It's adorable. Yeah. 
So they, they mend rugs and uh, they rent the top apartment out and so that's enter the, the tenant. And the tenant and Natalia form an attachment to each other. The tenant uh, requests to take her to the opera and says the maid can come too so that they know he's, you know... Not yeah, Nonna and the maid can come as well, and we're going to watch Barter of Seville. And... and then we get to watch some rubbed cheeks for a while. I don't know. I believe it's called face mashing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's what happens in old classic romances. Instead of kissing, all they do is hug and smear their cheeks together. Yeah, man. Che- <laughs> yeah, but the tenant. Um... They're like cats marking their scent or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the tenant then says, I'm so sorry, I have to leave. I've got bad men. Bad men after me, but I will meet you on the bridge uh, in one year's time at 10 p.m. Whatever. Take another lover if you want. I don't blame yeah. you. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll be pure for you. And... Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, playing into Natalia's innocence, she's been kept under lock and key by that nonna. Mm-hmm. And we get a bit of, you know, other women in the world that we're exposed to that are a bit more free, a bit more... Flirtatious. Flirtatious, dancing, but Natalia is quite... Innocent and, and demure and kind demure, of naive, and she's so strikingly different from everyone else by being blonde haired, blue eyed, yes. very much a immigrant, like you know, the child of immigrants. She, they, she says she's of Slavic descent, yeah, so like Eastern European, oh, like yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, we cut back to Natalia telling all of this to Mario, which is so bizarre to me because I'm like. This guy, like, I would, if I was in her shoes, this guy's into me. I'm going to spend the whole night telling him about this other guy that's into me. Well, I mean, it's a perfect way to get a guy who's, like, not taking no for an answer to shut the fuck up and leave you alone, <laughs> I guess. Take a hint. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then we follow Natalia and Mario. They sort of, it, it's, yeah, it, it, this is where the film kind of gets interesting, where it's it's a friendship slash Bur- like burgeoning romance mm-hmm. that they both kind of I mean Mario is very intentionally being like I dig this lady and Natalia it starts to fall for him like unwittingly I think like she's not aware of what's happening like um, and so it's this slow process of them just kind of hanging out and Mario kind of talking through the situation with her trying to convince her like dude bailed like he's not coming back you know and then I guess it's through the more spending time with her, he falls deeper and deeper in love with her. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there's the next night when she said she was going to meet him, she just obviously like gets a, like a very last minute uh, cold feet and starts to run away <laughs> from him in the middle of the street after he's seen it and go and hide in a chicken coop. Because mm-hmm. that's a subtle place. The chickens are going, ah! Which I think is like a wonder, it's a thing of like, oh, she's real young. Like, she doesn't yes. get, like, that's not a place to hide. I love it. And he's just like, you could have said no. Yeah. <laughs> you can be direct with me. Yeah. This is, you know, but it's. Well, I it, tried to last night, but you didn't fucking listen. Yeah. <laughs> but it is like that. It's that, what again, that perfect, like, example of her being so. It's that show don't tell. They're, they're showing us how young and naive she yes. is. It's like, as, where would a little sheltered kid who doesn't get to go outside much? They're like, oh, I'll hide in the chicken coop. Yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah know, it's, true, true, true. Whereas where she's like, she, it's like you're 24, lady. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, I mean, there's back and forthies between them. She uh, asked him to write a letter. She finds out that the tenant is in town. 
and she decides to get Maria to write a letter and take it to the tech. Um, that was a wonderful scene. The the writing of the letter. Yeah. yeah. And then it's revealed that actually she already had a letter because he got it to he she got him to write it on an empty packet of cigarettes on mm-hmm. the inside packet, but he's like, nah, write it out nicely. This is this is shit, and then I'll deliver it. And then she's like, well, actually, I've already got it here. Doing <laughs> so, she's obviously written it and rewritten it and had it in her purse for you know. Hmm. Uh, and then he decides to rip it up and throw it in the canal while a very creepy prostitute watches. And it's like, alright. I did not get the point of the prostitute, can I yeah, say? Yeah, it's like, I get the idea of like when the, it's the night and the, the kind of department story kind of street and it's all the other young flirtatious women who like writes chow yes, backwards in the I mirror and the window to him and stuff. But the prostitute, I think, is. Uh, Possibly there, because Mario continually says, like, women are either, like, they're crazy or they're, like, you know, he's he's very dismissive of women. And I think the prostitute is there to really exemplify that for mm. him because of what eventually becomes of that whole scenario he has with her. Yes. It's sort of, like, really kind of reaffirming that negative view that he oh, has, um, which kind of comes at a nice point right before you know, he really falls for Natalia. It's sort of that, you know, mm. second act downfall, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. Um, and then Mario decides to take Natalia to a dance pub, bar, pub, hall, whatever you want so to call it. So this really is like Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. <laughs> you brought that up while we were yes, watching so it. He, sorry, I think I jumped ahead, but yeah. he, she gets him to write the letter and then, oh, I've already got it, and so he rips up the letter mm. into the water and I'm like, this is this is reminding me of something and it's Silver Linings Playbook with the letters and all that sort of but thing. But then it gets into dancing as well, Silver Linings Playbook. Ah, that sort true, of, yeah. true. Um, so Natalia thinks... Less garbage that, bags, though. Yeah. <laughs> garbage bags? <laughs> he's like running... When he goes for runs, he's wearing oh, garbage yeah. bags, weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yes, so they go to a dance hall, and this is my favourite scene of the whole yeah, film. Yeah, this is the best part of the movie. Oh, the outrageous dancing rock and roll, rockabilly, I don't know what you'd call it, but, like, oh, so good. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bunch of young, hip kids dancing to a Bill Haley and the Comets song. Yeah. Um, it's the one that I've used to open the episode, and we'll be playing again at the end. But he's the guy that did the rock around the clock and yeah. stuff. Like, you know, it's that real kind of rockabilly yeah. 50s kind of style. Like, love it. Um, you'll also love... There's one amazingly flamboyant dancer. Oh, yes. Who kind of looks like a really young, like a 16-year-old Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. <laughs> His name in real life is Dirk Sanders. <laughs> like, yes, of course you're a rockabilly dancer. <laughs> Dirk Sanders. He's probably not even Italian. No, I, he looks like an... Imp, like an imp, we, need a, we need the best American dancer we can get. Well, it's American music. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the dancing, it's like that kind of, you know, flipping chicks up over your shoulder. And, and then there's a dance circle where Dirk is throwing all kinds of shapes. Yes, just shapes. Just <laughs> shapes and poses. He's it's voguing like, before voguing was a thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> he is, he, he looks like he's about to snap. Yeah. He is twangy and elongated. Popping up and down. Fabulous. Yeah. And um, Mario pushes him out of the dance circle and puts himself into the and it is a borderline Bluth family chicken dance. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, totally. He's doing a cuckoo cha, cuckoo cha, cha 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 cha. 
You were saying though, you reckon um, hit, hit that Mario brought Natalia to that place because he's like, I don't know, what do young kids do? Because we yeah. know he's quite a bit older than her, or we believe that. We yeah, believe. I mean, it's... Quite if, obvious. Yeah, quite obvious with the appearances and everything. But yeah, it's like my interpretation and why I love that scene so much, it's because... Obviously, Mario is an older man who has trouble uh, wooing women. Like, you know, the fact that he's still single and, like, has no one really that he connects to in his life. Like, when we introduce to him, he's being dropped off by a family that he's that they've felt bad and, like, invited him along for the day and stuff. Yes. Um, before he meets Natalia. Um, so, it's like, all right, we'll go, dan- we'll go to this dance hall place. And it's, it, it's this wonderful example of, like... Here is like the truest example of young, free-spirited people who are in love with life, in love with each other, and are just carefree and having a great time. Carefree, yeah. And then you have Natalia and Mario get on the dance floor, and it is awkward and stiff, and they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And this scene made me fall in love with Natalia. Her giggly, shy kind of, but also like really excited and yeah. really loving it and like I've never seen people do this or whatever I am in. She seems like really like she's excited and she's unsure of how what's going on or how to kind of participate yes. because she's lived that sheltered life but she's young and she's so enthusiastic about it mm. whereas Mario is like old and clumsy and clunky <laughs> and seems annoyed. Yes. By not being able to do it, not like out of a sheer innocence. It's like a frustration almost. And I think he observes her enthusiasm and her, like, she just lights up. I'm going to say the actress. um, Maria Schell. I I thought she was a fabulous performer. There were scenes where there was crying. And I, I know in a lot of films around this era, there's the typical, the tear down the face, but no crying it's almost yeah. like someone's put it there before saying action where she's going for it you can see the tears pop out of her cheeks falling down but also in this scene her just sheer like all those things you said enthusiasm like the sheer joy that she's putting yeah, forth she is natalia yeah. she is embodying that character really really well well do you want to hear something interesting about maria shell at this point mm-hmm. uh she is not italian she is an austrian actress yeah uh, which explains sort of her look. And also, I think as well, like, I keep saying about the young and innocence thing, um, you nailed it early on. You said she looks exactly like Sue Lyon yes. from Lolita. Lolita. Yeah. And it's just like, I think that kind of embedded something in my head about, like, oh, that's... The kind character, of, yeah. yeah. and imprinting a kind of young yeah. youngness onto her. But, um, yeah, so basically Visconti met her... Uh, after, the, like, they were both uh, on a jury of a film festival together... And he was just like, you're fucking rad. I'm going to... Do you want to come and act in this thing for me? Um, they had originally planned, like, hey, you know, like a lot of these films at the time, you know, we'll do the overdub later of the voices and we'll get, you know, a native Italian actress to kind of come in and oh. and dub over for you. Um, but instead, what she ended up doing was learning all of her lines despite not being able to speak Italian yeah. and, like, learn them phonetically and delivered her... And Visconti was so impressed with that that... He's like, you got this. Like, no, this is you. We are not overdubbing your voice. You nailed it. I wish I spoke Italian because I would imagine if someone... I mean, there was something that you said. It was like a B-movie that you guys watched. And it was like someone who doesn't speak English but has, like, phonetically learned their lines. I can't oh, yeah. Movie, well, that's oh, like, that's like all the bad movies I watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like you're like, you are robotic and weird sounding. Like, I wouldn't know. I don't know what uh, Maria's Italian sounds oh, like. You know, like, I wish I spoke Italian so I could... Yeah. 
Well, it's, like, it's like, I think she, she like she knew a little bit. She, she wasn't fluent no, in Italian. But, but it, to me, it sounded genuine. And I, I mean, I don't speak Italian, but the way she delivered her lines was amazing. So. Yeah. Um, weirdly, unlike uh, Jean Marais, who played the landlord, he was a French actor. And they were just like, oh, no, no, you're, you're getting overdubbed. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, he was overdubbed by an Italian actor. <laughs> wow. I didn't think he had many lines either. He just no, no. brooding... I, I think that's why it's like we need someone who looks like you know a James Brolin older man type thing, smoldering old man. M- yeah, Marcello uh, mm-hmm. is in Italy considered yeah, like, super handsome stud. Yeah, I mean this is I I I believe this is after La Dolce Vita. Yeah, time wise and things. So he's like he's like king shit dude. Yeah. Like yeah. But like okay, so he's hot shit. Not just as an actor, like. You know, the look of him, he's very attractive. Like, and Natalia's going for broody French brood. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But again, I, that's what's kind of interesting. Like, you know, the smouldering Marcello Mastriani, you, it's, you know, you think of La Dolce Vita, like the jet black suit with the thin black tie and the sunglasses at night with the cigarette. Like, you know, it's this smouldering kind of image. Ooh. Whereas in this, he's wearing lots of tweed. <laughs> It's similar to, like, in a Divorce Italian style, which I know you, you didn't watch, but it was, it, it's like he has a weird pencil-thin mustache, and he's, like, making himself, a, like, comedically playing off uh. of that. And I think this, he, he's really going for Maru presenting him as, like, a, an everyman. Yes. A lonely dude. Like, yes. the type of guy who would be alone and living in a hotel and unsure of what, what he's doing and where he's going in life. And we haven't, before we move on to the next part of the story, we haven't talked about Mario's hotel. Yeah. Oh, okay, yes. Fuck. Okay, so Mario lives, well, he's staying in this hotel and this woman, the landlord, whatever we want to call her, comes in every morning, screams at him for being lazy and not going to work and that you have been up all night. Like, who is this woman? You pay someone that you can have this happen to you? She brings in coffee, which is nice, but then you just get insulted and assaulted. She pops in bed with him and, like, pulls the cover off. And... Get up on your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck, you animal? Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. I'm like, wow, wow. You, you... How many days do you reckon you would last? Oh, like... one. I'd be out. The second that happened in the morning, I'm, like, I'm out of here. Do you reckon... Like, I reckon I'd last... If it happened a second morning in a row, then it's like, okay, I'm having words to management. Because it's like, this could just be an anomaly. Like, you know... But it's like, no, fuck that shit. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, And I get, like, you know, she thinks she's being nice, trying to get him up for work and stuff. But it's also like, no. Oh, God. None of this. God, no. Stop screaming. (laughs) What do you want? For the love of God, stop screaming. (laughs) Um, there's a scene later on where they're all sick because it was raining the night before and she's like coughing on him and foul and then she makes him put his feet into the basin bowl, whatever, and starts pouring searing hot water and when he's like, ah, she's like, shut up, it needs to be hot. (laughs) And his coffee's too hot and she's just like, oh my God. Um, but yes. Um, back to the main storyline. So Mario... Uh, feels guilty about not delivering the letter. He tells Natalia and she's not hurt or upset. She's sort of coming to terms with, oh, was always going to be this way. I'm stupid for thinking that he was ever going to come back. I've been foolish. And then when you say before that Mario is the everyman at that moment, he's like, I'm not, I'm nothing special. I'm, I'm very poor. I want to improve on myself, but you know, I'm not but in spite right. of all of this, I love you. I, yes. I, I felt like, you know, it was love at first sight. So, which is, 
where the film get to me I'm like I love this because it's mm. taking that original fairy tale story that he was originally mocking and it's, it's we've we've eliminated it we're eliminating that narrative and instead we're fixing into a different fairy tale narrative yes and that's it it's not a realistic narrative it's a different fairy tale narrative yeah and he's wanting to yeah sweep her off her feet and take her away and it's it, it's almost like he's it, it's the film is kind of... He's hijacked her fairy tale to create his own oh. to some degree. and mm. Yeah. And she uh, then agrees to not pursue the tenant anymore. And I like that she's not like, cool, you, you'll do. It's yeah. like, no, I, you know, I spent a year loving this man and now I, I can't just... Switch it off, things, yeah. But that's enough for him. He's like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm in. Let's, get, let's steal this boat. Yeah, let's, let's steal a boat and go for a, for a canal ride. I've got to show you something. And then he uh, takes it to some homeless people living under it, a bridge. Okay, what that, the hell I was that? I loved that because, it's again, it's it's the flawed fairy tale narrative. I know I keep harping on this fairy tale aspect of it, but in his mind he's like, oh, my God, I'm now living my fairy tale. This is going to be absolutely perfect. Um, there was this point where I walked over this bridge and there was this couple on a boat and they didn't see me and I, I got to witness this beautiful expression of love. Uh, I'm going to recreate that yeah. now with, with Natalia. And he gets there and it's completely botched and fucked because there's a, like, shanty town of homeless people there. Yes, freezing their titties off. And it's just the best of, like, oh, this dude is not getting his fairy tale. Fairy tale. Tenant's coming back. <laughs> like, this is going to blow is that up. Is when in, you knew? Yeah. yeah. It's like, this is going to blow up in his face. But then it starts to snow, hence the title, White Knight. And you pointed that out. You're like, oh, I get it, White Knight. I'm like, man, if you hadn't said that, that would have been way over my... Like, no, Snow Knight. <laughs> Even if it was so on the nose, I would have been like, yeah, wouldn't have got it. Um, and that I think either before or at that moment, Natalia says, all right, let's do it. Let, I'll... I'll be with you. I don't know if he proposed or not, but she's agreed. Yeah, he was saying, like, I'm going to propose to you and it's going to be beautiful and we're going to have the best life and yada, yada, yada. It snows and they're beautiful and they're giggling and they get out of the boat and they're laughing in the street and it's snowing and it's so romantic and they're so happy. And then they turn a corner to the bridge and there's the tenant. Of course. And what does Natalia do? She fucking... (laughs) (laughs) Throws off Mario's jacket and runs to him. Yes. And I'm like... Oh, she called bitch. Yeah. Not just that. And it's like made so much worse because the tenant looks like a fucking sociopath, like serial killer, dressed all in shiny black leather like he stepped right out of the Matrix, black gloves on, just looks like he's going to murder, strangle somebody. It's like, that's where you had to go away for a year. You're a serial killer. But yes, do you think that's because he's the villain, not her villain, but Mario's villain? I think so. I think that's why he's presented to look like that in that scene because we're seeing that whole scene through Mario's eyes. Like, he's never... Mario's never not in the background of the frame of the two of them being reunited. Mm. Um, Whereas when it's um, Natalia's point of view earlier, like, of him, he seems warm and gentle and nice. Mm. Whereas here it's just like, this dude is going to straight up murder somebody. But I think... You know, it's it's a happy ending for Natalia. It's a tragic ending for Mario. But I don't know. There's something that's shifted in Mario now that this experience has happened. Yeah. So he said to Natalia, "I want to be a better man for you. I want to change. I want to blah 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 blah." Again, I don't know what he's changing. You know, we don't have any of that backstory. Really. No, no. But obviously, he wants to better himself and change. 
uh, we end on him with that dog again. Yeah, it, it's and it's outside the petrol station and things again where he was dropped off by the family and things. It's, oh, wow, from. we we were right back, the character's right back where we, he started yes. having experienced something, having changed, and now he's going to keep going back on with his, like, on with his journey. It's yeah. really kind of lovely. Yeah, he says, though, that, you know, I go from town to town, I meet new people, I, you know, I have, you know, I've met so many people, I have so many experiences, and this is probably just another one in his yeah. list. And it is. Yeah. It's, it's pretty lovely and nice, and just kind of wraps everything up nicely. Yes. I mean, it, it's, that's the thing, like, the film doesn't, it's not necessarily, like, I'm sure, like, you know, you can read into stuff, you know, as deep as you want, but the film, I think, it's not trying to, you know, make some grand statement on, no. you know, male-female relationships or, you know, the haves and the have not like, you know, society or anything like that. It's, no. it's just presenting this nice kind of classical romance story. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what's happening at this time, 1957, Italy, but you're thinking about what's happened previous you know, people probably love going to the movies and watching these sorts of Oh, things. yeah, there was, there was the, that's the massive boom of Italian cinema from, like, I think 1947, kind of post-war onwards. Yeah. It's kind of this big boom, and that's where the neorealism movement, and, you know, you get people like, you know, um, you know Rossellini and De Sica and, um, you know, Fellini and stuff all coming out of this time, and it's this massive boom for Italians, and culture is starting to take over. Mm. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of nice to watch... A film that kind of tries to embrace those classical tropes of Hollywood filmmaking, I mm. guess. Um, Fairy tales, yeah. storytelling. Yeah, there's a nice little sweet, I mean, bittersweet, bittersweet romance. Bittersweet, yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Do you know what? I really liked it. It was. It's a super solid little movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I would recommend. I would too. And um, the music, I don't know, we're probably ready for trivia time. You've probably got some trivia for me, but... We can't not talk about the music. Yeah, um, score by Nino Rota, uh, absolute classic Italian composer. Noted a couple of like stings that were kind of similar to the (laughs) of the Godfather in there. Yeah, I was listening out for it because I think you told me you noticed it when the opening credits. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I was trying to listen out for Mm. similarities. But you were saying that um, what's his face? his name fucking Coppola mm-hmm. um, would have picked the composer because he oh, would have been a fan of oh yeah it's like you, you are you are the sound of Italy you are the yeah like so that's why you need to score the Godfather and uh, when is the Godfather set uh nine uh well it's right after World War Two so you know so it, it's it's, it. it's for it's forties late forties he's picked the guy from around that yeah. time yeah so yeah. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, because Michael's fact. just come back from the war and he's like, you know, yes. the big war hero and blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it spans about 10 years, but yeah. <laughs> he's picked a composer that's, yeah, made music for cinema at that time in mm. that place. Well, that, that was what was kind of interesting about this film and like having someone like Nino Rota doing the score. It was never overpowering. At no point no. did I really be like, oh shit, the music. No. Like, you know, there were points where the music kind of swells, but it didn't. It wasn't in your face. It yeah. was this nice little subtle thing. And to be honest, if it is that romantic fairy tale kind of thing, it was a lot of stark, quiet shots and scenes that yeah. could have been, I think, could have been improved with music, but maybe 
I don't know, maybe because it is that bittersweet ending, it's not as... We're not trying to kind of almost... It, it would almost yeah. fake the audience out too much, too I much, think. Too much, maybe, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, before we get into trivia, I think maybe we should try and find out what someone else thinks this film was about. Oh, no, there's no pause right now. I'm just flat, like, I'm, we're doing a Bill O'Reilly. Fuck it, we're doing it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! <laughs> I'm going to the other room and getting clear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go, Claire. Grab a seat. Your, the film we watched is Lucino Visconti's 1957 film Le Notte Bianchi. Italian? Italian translates to White Nights. White Nights. And there's the cover for you. Because you said White Nights and I thought of the candy bar. <laughs> it's very it's like, peppermint. It's mint and then there's chocolate on the outside. Oh, okay. And they were kind of like chewy. Then discontinued. <laughs> <laughs> Not good for your teeth. Can you show me the cover again? I got distracted with lollies. Okay, well, they're not even Oh, sorry, I, should, I wasn't trying to read no, the right. thingy. So there's a, there's a guy. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a guy. <laughs> okay, so... 1950s, dark, black and white... Okay, so this guy, main character, his name's... What's an Italian name? Giorgio. Love it. Cool. Yeah. So Giorgio, he's um, <laughs> they call him Gio for short. Oh. Yeah. Um, he is dark and like a member of an underground kind of organization, but he wants to get out of what do they call it? Just mafia. the mob mafia. He wants to get out of the mafia and. By do he can't though, so he just does some like good deeds every now and then. Like he's sneakily, like meant to be doing the bad things, but he's doing the good things, and that's how he's the white knight because he's doing the good things to help people. Okay. Um, but then the mafia find out that he's doing good things, and they want to chop off his head. But because he's a knight, they have a duel instead, like with jousting sticks. Wow, they go full on the old school jousting. Yes. All right. And does he win? Does he lose? I don't know. They leave it on a cliffhanger. Okay. <laughs> the yeah. end. The uh, end. I love it. Well done. <laughs> does that have anything to do with what it is? Uh, white knights uh, with an N, not a K. <laughs> <laughs> I made the same mistake too. <laughs> you know what? I was distracted by the, what, the candy. The candy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, Marcello Mastriani, uh, who plays Mario, <laughs> and he's the dude from a, t- a divorce Italian style. Oh yeah. Uh, so basically, yeah, it's, and is a lo- as a lonely city transplant and Maria Shell, a sheltered girl haunted by a lover's promise, meet by chance on a canal bridge and begin a tentative romance that quickly entangles them in a web of longing and self-delusion. That sounds like most things that I describe on this thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more or less. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love it. Except mm. for White Knight. Yeah. K-N-I. K-N-I. 
I'm gonna like it's have. Daisy. To, I'm gonna have to now like Photoshop like some nice posters for White Knight. Give <laughs> <laughs> me get. Love it. Thank you, Claire. All right, so I've got a little bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I already brought up the main bit of it, which was Maria Schell not speaking Italian and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the film won the Silver Lion at the 1957 Venice Film Festival and was listed by Cahe du Cinema as the third best film of the year. Hmm. Uh, Cahe du Cinema is like the big French uh, film magazine and publication and stuff. Like, they still to this day do their top ten films of the year list, oh. and it's considered to be very a very good list every year. So. Yeah. Yeah, they gave it third best film of the year. Uh, in order to have the misty backgrounds by night, but a clear view of the actors, uh, Visconti and the director of photography, Giuseppe Rotuno, uh, could not use mist filters on camera lenses. Instead, they used large rolls of tulle hanging from the ceiling of, uh, to, the background, to, to the ground in the sets, um, putting street lamps just behind it, giving it the effect that there's mist everywhere. That's so cool. Yeah. Um... That is about it. That's it? Yeah. Like, I, I talked about the Maria Shell stuff, about, like, how they met yes, as a, that's true. on the jury and the blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. Yeah. Not much out there on this one. It's a kind of bit of a losty, forgotten film. Mm. But, most importantly, you got a tagline? I want you to go first. All right. You sure? Yeah. Mine's right. terrible. Right, here's mine. Okay. White Knights. Visions, Dreams of Passion. <laughs> Visions, dreams of passion. Throwing through my mind. <laughs> and all the time I think of you. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, just stealing white, lyrics from white lines. <laughs> I, was, I was tossing up uh, between like the word waiting, like waiting for love, waiting, waiting for government. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, that sounds not good. So then I went with La Notte Bianche. Don't wait to see it. <laughs> You've gone for like the real old school like yeah. Go now, rush to your local Cineplex Yeah, don't wait See it now <laughs> Nice um, Yeah, so as usual we'll put it up on the Instagram The two posters and things And we'd love to hear uh, who you guys think has the better tagline And if you have any ideas of your own Send them on through um, But we'll quickly go into the Criterion edition itself It's currently unavailable from Criterion on physical form, mm-hmm. uh, but it is available to watch on the Criterion channel, and it has a collection of interviews from 2003 with screenwriter, a uh, bunch of Italian names. I'm ge- yeah. uh, you know what, fuck it, I'm, ge- I'm going to go for it. Let's do screenwriter it. Screenwriter Suso Cecchi D'Amico, mm. film critics Laura Deli Colli and Lino Micheye, Micheye, cinematography Giuseppe Rotuno, and costume designer Piero Tosi. A new audio recording of Dostoevsky's White Knights, also downloadable as an MP3, apparently. Uh, rare screen test footage of Mas- uh, Mastriani and Shell, original theatrical trailer, and the usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. Good work on those names, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a while since I've had to pronounce a bunch of foreign names on mic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess that'll wrap us up for La Notte Bianchi. Hmm. Uh, so good little movie, this one. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, we are back in a fortnight's time with one that I am real excited to watch with you. Oh, Hazard Balthazar. I love the name. If Do you had to guess else? what Balthazar is. It's an evil cat. It's, definitely, it's got four legs. Evil dog, horse, cow, pig. 
Donkey? Donkey! <laughs> It's a story about a donkey. But it's not an evil donkey. No, no. Oh, okay. So uh, this is, I, I'm very intrigued to see what you think of this movie. Mm. It's going to be It's gonna be a good one. So tune in in a fortnight's time for that episode. Otherwise, I don't know, anything, any final thoughts? No, other than that, that Italian women are beautiful when they start and they end up toothless. Mustachioed. <laughs> Mustachioed women. <laughs> <At the end>. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, I'm going to hell. Oh, no, me too. <laughs> um, but again, thank you all for listening. Uh, we're so glad to be back from the break. It's been a while, and it's so much fun recording these. So thank you all for listening. Uh, if you have any comments, queries, anything at all, we love hearing from you from you all. Uh, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at CriterionQuest. We've got the Instagram that Lee's running at cri- the Criterion Quest. All that shit's in the fucking episode description, as per usual. But uh, as well as like links to the Patreon, yada, yada, yada. Well, yeah, Patreon's exciting. Yeah, well, what's our next one that we're getting ready to record? American Psycho. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I'm rereading the book at the yes. moment, so in anticipation. And I fucking love this film. It's going to be good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I said, all the shit's in the episode description. Have a look there. Have a click through. Otherwise, we'll talk to you again in a fortnight's time with a tale of a donkey. <laughs> uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. Well, I'm 13 women.